There might be girls. Will there balls? A disappointingly dull romp which squanders its effective hammer-esque visuals on a string of boorish look-at-the-tits-on-that gags. Mark Kermode, The Observer. It's so bad that even at 87 minutes, it's probably a good 87 minutes too long. Deborah Ross, The Spectator. It's a 15-year-old boy's idea of a great night at the movies. Sexy ladies in lingerie who get their heads locked off. Paul Barnes, The Sydney Morning Herald and an appalling waste of a perfectly decent title. James Christopher, The Times. It's Lesbian Vampire Killers. So welcome to Britcom Goes to the Movies. So this is the podcast in which we watch a British comedy that was very popular, and then they made a film of it, featured the same creative team behind said TV show, or featured actors that made that jump from the small screen to the big screen. So we're here to test that old adage that you should never make a hit TV show into a big film. And we're here to test the theory whether they're any good or not. I'm here with Rob Gavilar-Heath. <laughs> Thank you, Guy Stacy Walker. I think hopefully these intros to each other will get, will get better as the episodes go along. So, Guy, well, first of all, thanks for uh, having me on board on this podcast. And also... Um, thanks for allowing me to watch a, a film that I've somehow managed to avoid watching since 2009. Yeah, I, um, I've not seen it myself. So it was always, I, I remember the run up, it coming out and thinking, oh, yeah, go and see that. And then the moment the reviews dropped that you brilliantly read out earlier, I thought, no, I'm not going to see that because it sounds fucking shit. You've, um, you've been researching some, some film facts to, to hit us. Yeah, with early on about this film. That's it, right? So yeah, lesbian vampire killers, or vampire killers, as it was known in America. Well, I'm surprised it was even released in America at all, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it was released on the 16th of March, 2009, produced by Alliance Films, Velvet Bite, and AV Pictures, distributed by Momentum uh, Pictures. Uh, the budget was. Two million pounds. Spent two million pounds on this, and it really? has made. Yeah, the box office was just over two and a half million pounds. It made back. Oh, so it did. So it did make money then. It made money, but I don't know if that's from the release to now. Yeah, I imagine it probably at the time with the title like "Lesbian Vampire Killers" probably did get a bit of an audience. Mm. But because I can't imagine how many DVDs. I don't know if you get it on Blu-ray or not. I would have thought it would have been like the ultimate DVD purchase, right? For, for <laughs> <laughs> teens, teens and preteens. Yeah. Well, Christmas 2009. That could have been it, yeah. You've had a long time to wait, but it took longer for DVDs to come out back then, didn't it? So you'd have to, <laughs> to be waiting for Christmas Day to get your lesbian vampire killer's fix. It's the perfect time to watch it, isn't it, Christmas Day? Well, yeah, exactly. Sit down with your, all the family and your nan and put lesbian vampire killers on. <laughs> That's what everyone wants, isn't it? Yeah. Nope, not at all. <laughs> um, yeah, IMDb, it's got a 5.1 rating and a 28% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, 28%. That's, yeah. do, do you know what? Like When I was doing my research earlier on, I saw on the Wikipedia page that it, said that it had a 29, 29%. So it, it's gone down a percentage point since the Wikipedia article. Yeah. The thing I noticed a lot was people drawing comparisons to Shaun of the Dead, which yeah. feels 
unfair on Shaun of the Dead. Well, it's it's riding some late coattails of Shaun of the mm. Dead, isn't it? But, but by that point, you know, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz has already been released. I don't think The World's End had been released at that point. No, that was 2014, was it? Oh, right. 2014, yeah, I think there's a few. So you think you were probably a year before Scott Pilgrim, maybe? Right, okay. But it's, I mean, they're definitely trying to um, to cash in a little bit on on Edgar Wright's success and Shaun of the Dead's success, and there's definitely kind of aspects of (laughs) of that filmmaking done in a much... Ter- much more terrible way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a shoddier a shoddier yeah. way and the, yeah. the dynamic i think between the the two characters is meant to be quite reminiscent of yeah uh, shauna dead as well nick frost and simon Pegg. and you said it's imdb was was 5.1 did you that sounds quite generous that sounds quite high to say that the Corden and horn or horn and Corden, the uh the sketch show i think it's got a 2.9 rating on imdb <sighs> And I did go back and watch some of those sketches. Have you? So yeah. I didn't have to because yeah, I know I ha- I didn't at the time, and I I haven't since. And I, I think I may have seen like one or two of the sketches, but I watched a bit of it when it came out, and then I went and went back and watched some of it. And yeah, it's it just doesn't the, the fact that they set these two guys up to be they keep calling themselves oh we're going to be like the next Markham and Wise. I mean, which is such a weird thing anyway. We're swearing. Yeah, exactly. And James Corden getting his body out. And there's so many jokes about him being fat. Mm. I mean, there's, there was like a, there's one where they go to a burger van and it's Nick Muhammad is the the vendor. So I was like, oh, yeah. Nick Muhammad's yeah, there. He's, he's gone um, on to do some great things. Yeah, exactly. Um, not a great start, but, you know, gone on to good things. <laughs> and um, the whole joke is um, they realize that James Corden's fat halfway through. He orders a burger mm. and he goes, oh shit, I'm I'm fat. Why have you sold me a burger? I've just realized I'm fat. Why would you do this to me? And that's the uh, conceit of the sketch. Because it, it was it was a mix of it was a mix of sketch shows and kind of them in front of a studio audience as well, wasn't it? It's, yeah, that's right. My understanding, my memories of the of the format. But yeah, it, it never and, worked and it, it kind of and, and that debuted the same year as this film as well, didn't it? They were both two thousand and nine. So what's crazy about it? Is so through my research, I found that Lesbian Vampire Killers was released a month after they do the Brit Awards. So they hosted the, the Brit Awards with, with Kylie, Kylie, yeah, and ten days after the debut of Horn and Carton on BBC Two. They were everywhere. I, I think, yeah, so much of this is is down to some really good exposure for the two of the, you know, for what's face it, our, our two talented guys, but mm. just. Yeah, a lot kind of misguided twaddle. It's just it's strange, isn't it? Well, yeah, because I was thinking about it. How you've got these normally when you have a double act, it, they they've kind of come through like maybe like the Cambridge Footlights, or they've gone on, you know, like Vic and Bob were doing stuff in London, weren't they? In sort of small kind of clubs or yeah, Gold, uh, pubs in Goldsmiths, yeah, um, university, yeah. Yeah, that's right. But as these guys met on a TV show and obviously hit it off and had that chemistry, and it's almost like doing it with David Jason, Nicholas Lindos in the 80s after a couple of series of Only Fools and Horses and saying, go and do a sketch show. Yeah. But yeah, so speaking of uh, Horn and Corden, I've done some some research or let's say some IMDb delving into the cast and crew of this film to kind of check their 
BritCon credentials, if you like. So um, before we get into your kind of deeper dive research into the genesis of this film, I just wanted to, to run through the run through the cast with you guys. So obviously James Corden, the, the big box office name of this film and, and the, 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 you know, the, the person who's still, you know, very, very successful and famous now. With all of them, I try to kind of split it into a before and after the film we're talking about. So before, obviously, James Corden has got a list of like the sublime to the ridiculous. So some great stuff. I mean, obviously, Kevin and Stacey, very, very good, very popular. Um, I but in, in the early days, he was in a show called Boys Unlimited. Did you ever watch that? That I never watched it, but I did see there was one before it called what is it? The Young Person's Guide to right. Becoming a Rockstar. And then I think Boys Unlimited was the next one. It was so it was written by, or he was one of the writers, Richard Osman. Oh. Uh, before he became, uh, and I remember loving it at the time. Uh, me and my friend Steve uh, at school saying, Oh, did you catch? Because it was on like T4 at like 12, you know, like noon or something on a Sunday. And thinking, yeah, this is in a kind of. I suppose in a kind of mockumentary t- tradition of yeah, it's, it's a boy band mockumentary, and I, from what I can remember, it was really funny, and I, I, you know, funny in a way that a kind of Saturday daytime uh, sitcom is, and it had it had people like Matt Lucas and stuff in it, and it was, and he, I think Lucas Williams and Richard Osman all wrote it together. Anyway, he was great in that Cruise of the Gods, a TV film which I absolutely love, bought on DVD. Have you, we're both massive Steve Coogan fans. So that was the, yeah. the point where I was buying everything Steve Coogan was making. Um, yeah. And he's really good in that as well. He is yeah. and has the potential to be and uh, and has proof of being a good actor. Teachers, mm. series one of Teachers, uh, which um, I was also in, guy. <laughs> well, I was, we, I, I, I was in series two as, a, oh, uh, wow. as, as okay. an extra. Uh, so, I, yeah, I'd never... I, Paz never really called there. He was in a bit of season two, I think. My Paz never never crossed with him there. Uh, although my dad did a couple of scenes with him. My dad did a scene where did he they? was a fishmonger in in, uh, <laughs> in teachers. Anyway, did... uh, Fat Friends, wow. which I remember being brilliant, and that's where he met Ruth Jones as well, wasn't it? Yeah, and then we talked. We, right. We've spoken about Horn and Corden and the, what the misstep that was, and then just like mm. the. Like the kind of the big acting in theatre chops of something like History Boys, which obviously transferred with the same cast transferred from stage to screen and was a big success and, you know, is very good. And then, and then even after, mm. even post-Lesbian Vampire Killers, you've got stuff like The Wrong Mans, which I really enjoyed. And I kind of wonder how much of that was down to Matthew Benton rather than James Corden, but... Yeah, I don't know. Were you a fan of that? Um, yeah, I remember watching it. I don't remember much about it to be honest, but I do remember watching that. So my kind of yeah, I guess my feelings on James Corden have like been oh, you know, hadn't hit that point yet where I did like him because I liked him from Gavin and Stacey and thought that, that was such a good show. And yeah, The Wrong Man's definitely going on to on to watch that as well. What I remember about The Wrong Man's is it's quite similar to an idea that <laughs> that I had had at that point and I was thinking about starting to write and then that came out and was like, ah, well, what, what's the point in that now? <laughs> <laughs> That's gone. Uh, no, maybe that was just a handy excuse for me to uh, to not actually do it. Um, Matthew Horn, again, 
quite a big comedy pedigree, you know, whether it's stuff you like or not. So obviously Catherine Tate, also in Teachers, but by the time Matthew Horne was in Teachers, it had gone very much downhill for a start. Neither myself nor yeah. my dad would still <laughs> And that's the reason. Yeah. He's in an episode of the smoking room, but then who wasn't during the North yes. I guess. Nathan Barley. I mean, this is where it's oh. you know, he's in some impressive stuff. I and mean, he's very funny, Nathan Barley. I rewatched that recently. Who's he in Nathan Barley? I don't remember him in Nathan Barley. He is a uh a shop assistant. He works in the um in the, the fashion boutique. Oh right, yeah. Yeah. Um I get, yeah. he was it do you remember a sitcom called Roman's Empire? Vaguely, uh, which I, again I remember at the time quite enjoying, and maybe, maybe it wasn't so good. But um, what was know, it about? I remember quite enjoying. Well, it was about like he 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 was marrying like a the, a daughter of a, a of a rich guy, basically <laughs> a, right. a guy called Roman who had an empire. <laughs> And he had three daughters. I, I'm not making it sound good, am I? Maybe I'm misremembering it as being better than it was. Uh, but it had some good people in it. Uh, uh, what's her name from him and her? Sarah? Uh, Soleimani. Sarah, Sarah Soleimani, yeah. She, yeah, she she's very it. good. Um, so, yeah, lots of good, there were lots of good people in that. He was in Annually Retentive. I think James Corden oh, yeah. was also in that. Obviously, the Catherine Tate show, uh, which I've said. A program called 20 Things to Do Before You're 30. Did you watch that? No, I didn't I watch that. I did watch. Cool. I watched annually retentive. Actually, we rewatched annually retentive recently. I which... remember liking annually retentive. Yeah, it was, it was kind of our go at like a Larry Sanders type show, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Again, maybe it, at that point, I I probably hadn't seen Larry Sanders, and you know, maybe I think I was the same. <laughs> then... Maybe misremembering it for being better than it was. I think the first series is better than the second, having rewatched it. But there's lots of good people right, okay. in it, and you've got yeah. like Alice Lowe sort of in it. Post Garth Marenghi is one of the writers, and okay. Corden shows up, and lots of people are in it. Dave Gorman's in it, so it's good seeing him. And yeah. yeah, I think it's worth it's worth a look back. It kind of yeah dips, but it's not Larry Sanders. But what is? Well, exactly. And after Lesbian Vampire Killers, you know, he's again he's done a few. He's he's in a. a a reasonably good, I seem to remember, episode of Inside Number Nine. Uh, it was a remake of Are You Being Served? I didn't see that, where he plays the young Mr. Grace. Yeah, because he's done a few of those, hasn't he? I don't know. Bad Education, which is, I think, is well, will be something we get to in this podcast because there mm. is a movie of Bad Education, um, which I never saw. Agatha Raisin, again, never saw that, but that no. was really put off by the trailers of that. Um, the rest of the cast, Mayanna Böring, who is, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, a uh, Swedish actress, but she is in two of the, I would say, two of the greatest British horror films of all time. Uh, I've won, just by me calling this a horror film, I'm, I'm spoiling it, but uh, one of those is Kill List, which oh, yeah. <laughs> isn't a horror film until the last 10 minutes, and, yeah. <laughs> and The Descent. Yeah. Which uh you know, so she she's got proper good um horror chops before coming into it, uh making a horror comedy. Um and she was also she was uh, did you know that Ben Wheatley did a comedy sketch show? This is something I, I had no oh. idea of, but it's something I'd quite like to go back and, and seek out. That'd be interesting. It was called The Wrong Door, which she was in and um you know, obviously that makes sense with the kill list connection. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, and then also, you know, kind of post actually, yeah, she's done a lot of movies. So she, you know, she's she's a, a proper actor, things like Downton Abbey and stuff like that. And then she's in, a, again, another film, which we may get to called A Comedian's Guide to Survival with James Buckley from The Inbetweeners. Not seen it, don't know anything about it. Now, talking about acting chops, there's a McGann in this film. Of guys. course there is. The best of the McGanns. <laughs> Not the one in Call the Midwife. This my is favorite, the one McGann. Of my favorite, uh, one of my favourite Viz articles is the Which McGann Brother Are You? Which, uh, <laughs> if you can find, you might have to put a link to in the show notes because it's, it's very, very cool. I will have a look for it and see if we can uh, find it. But Paul McGann in arguably the greatest British comedy of all time with Nell and I. Yeah, definitely up um, there. He was in a 80s snooker comedy with Robert Lindsay called Give Us a Break. <laughs> I've <laughs> never heard of Give Us a Break. And another TV movie called Hotel with an exclamation mark, which had Peter Capaldi and Bradley Walsh in it. Dreamcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Bit of a joke. I think it's, it's one of that. It, it looks very much from what I could tell from the, its IMDb page, like a kind of. British, it's a mad, 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 mad world type film with lots of kind of minor cameos, um, and then and then he's in some proper kind of Hollywood, some proper Hollywood chops as well. Empire of the Sun, Alien Three, Three Musketeers, and then of course he was Doctor Who as well. For uh, I mean, sorry, yeah, well, it was just a TV film. I think. I mean, I know very little about Doctor Who, but um, uh, if anyone wants to get back to me and. Uh, uh, castigate me for <laughs> for my lack of knowledge on Doctor Who, but I do. Yeah, he was he was Doctor Who for one thing. I seem to remember. Uh, e McKenney plays uh, Paul McGann's daughter in this. Who uh, Mrs. Rick Edwards? E McKenney. Uh, she uh, before not much that I could find, but then after mm. she became a bit of a mainstay of of uh, kind of tweenies um, Britcoms. So, well, after after a stint in EastEnders where she played a character called Jar Jar a long time after I'd stopped watching oh, EastEnders. Wow, good don't know who that but she's in Eric and Ernie. She's in Beaver Falls, a, a, a program which squandered a lot of potential. Uh, Bad Alts, Pram Face, Touch of Cloth, a personal favourite. Dreams, <laughs> uh, the Duchess and The Curse, The Curse, which I watched recently with the guys from um, People Just Do Nothing. Again, something else that we'll get into later. Yeah. So, yes, good Britcom chops from her, particularly afterwards. Uh, sorry about, uh, sorry in advance about pronunciation here. Vera Graziade, or you might know her as Vera Filatova, uh, who plays one of the lesbian vampires. She, uh, she obviously most famous, well, to us and probably to most people, as Elena from Peep Show, in which she gives a brilliant turn as a yeah. uh, as a self-obsessed character who you know that's most of the characters in peep show uh she she's married to hence the hence the new name uh, graziardi she's married to a guy called robin menotti graziardi who according to wikipedia is an italian film producer architect and <laughs> climate change denier which what a combo <laughs> And after she was in a thing called Me and Mrs. Jones with Sarah Alexander and Neil Morrissey. Know anything oh, about vaguely remember something about that. She She's in The Look of Love, which I think we might get to on this podcast, and Crack yeah. and Ori. Uh, Susie Amy, who's most famous for Footballers' Wives, 
Yeah. She had been in my family in moving wallpaper, but not a huge amount. I mean, compared to some of the films we're going to do later in this podcast, there's not a huge amount of kind of like big tradition of uh, British sitcom coming into this. Uh, no. The director was a guy called Phil Claydon, who was more kind of fam- famous is the wrong word, but more <laughs> uh, more of a horror director, directed in British horror films called Alone and Within, neither of which I've seen or, or heard no. of before doing this. Uh, he seemed to disappear without a trace. Uh, he, was in a, he was a minor crew on a film called The Big Nothing, which was David Schwimmer and Simon Pegg. I remember that watching that. Yeah, was it yeah I've seen it. It was okay. It was very much one of those straight to DVD kind of movies that I watched because it had Simon Pegg straight off the back of mm. Shaun of the Dead, I think, really. It was one of those sort of straight to DVD films that, that came out. Alice, I think Alice I... Eve, is she in it as well? Anyway. Yeah, she could be in it. Yeah, she rings a bell because she was sort of making waves around that time as well, wasn't she? Before she went on to do what Star Trek and she's out of my league with mm. Jib. Bertrell. Yeah, and she's in Start Start for Ten as well, isn't she? Yes, she is, which we might do on this podcast. I'm not sure if that fits in with um, our remit. Writers, so this may go a long way to explaining a lot. Uh, Stuart Williams and um, the other guy, Paul Hupfield. Paul Hupfield, yeah. Paul Hupfield, the two writers. Right? So both of those guys were writers on Balls of Steel. And Balls of Steel was very much lad lads mag inflate it was like a lads mag article made tv program wasn't it wasn't it one of those like hidden camera we're going to try and embarrass people like someone pretending to i don't know like rub rub the inside of of the pocket in a shop i remember there's one of a door-to-door salesman knocking on someone's door at three in the morning and saying you know i'm here to sell windows and three o'clock in the fucking morning mate it's basically a prank show yeah, um, and so these these guys wrote that, and that you know the, the other legacy of that program is GB News's Mark Dolan was the presenter God. of Force of Steel, wasn't he? Yeah. So you know so we're, <laughs> we're, going down, we're going down a dark path here, guy. Uh, Stuart Williams also wrote for the Friday Night Project um, when oh. it was Alan Carr and Justin Lee Collins, a program wow. called Tonightly. Don't Again, remember that. Don't remember it. I think it might have been a Channel Four sketch show and the Kevin Bishop show. So like, God. like these aren't great examples of the form from that decade, are they? No. The yeah, Kevin and then afterwards, show. you know, Alan Carr, Chatty Man, and the Justin Lee Collins show. So that you know, that's mm. obviously as a byproduct of working on Friday Night Project. Uh, wrote for a bit on Nevermind the Buzzcocks and wrote one episode of Famalan. Uh, and uh-huh. Paul Paul Hutfield also wrote Strutter, which I do really. What like. Strutter? Strutter was the the Paul K vehicle. So kind of post-Dennis Penis, he's the loud, sweary American lawyer mm. that was on MTV. Um, no. And I do have quite a fondness for that. No, never but watched that again, one. Paul Hutfield kind of disappeared without a trace. Uh, and finally, the producers, Steve Clark Hall, who seems to be, there's lots of listed producers. The, he, Steve Clark Hall seems to be the main one. And it, like he's got some, again, some, some good credits to his name in terms of like British comedy drama movies uh, things like still crazy and saving grace and calendar girls like saving grace oh, in particular yeah. i remember having a big fondness for i like still um, crazy as well that was a good film from what yes. i remember bill nye yeah. it's kind of put bill nye on the scene i well, seem to remember bill nye kind of debuting the the performance he'd give again in every other film he was ever in 
Yeah, <laughs> essentially, yeah, which you do in Love Actually and many other movies. But then Steve Clark Hall after that becomes one of Guy Ritchie's main producers, but um, not in the glory years, Guy, starting with Revolver. And then oh, moving on to Rock and Roller and Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> Man from Uncle, King Arthur, for, you know, but also producer on Armando Inucci's Avenue Five, which I kind of gave up on. I never um, watched it, to be fair. No, it was I, I, I never... need to give it another chance. I, mm. I can't categorically say I didn't enjoy it. I just couldn't be bothered seeing it through. Yeah. Um, and then I'll have one other point to make is the executive producer Vic Bateman was a uh, was the producer of Dog Soldiers, which is a classic British horror comedy. And you know, if this if Lesbian Vampire Killers is, is playing in the same the same field as as Dog Soldiers, then um, yeah, it, it can't hold a candle. Have you seen Dog Soldiers? I've not seen Dog Soldiers, so it's one I need to look up. Yeah, you need, you need that... to get on that guy. That is a, uh, but but I say more scary than it is funny. But yeah. Oh, cool. So, well, Halloween's not far off where we are, so yeah, exactly. Gotta get on it. And we'll talk about the, the the kind of legacy and the and the, the kind of the, the the wave of British horror comedies that this was riding off. But um, mm. we're going to talk a little bit about the. The genesis of this film, how it was made, and uh, the source material. Yeah, so the basically the writers, um, as you mentioned earlier, Stuart Williams and Paul Hupfield, were challenged to come up with the dumbest and most commercial title for a film possible, hence Lesbian Vampire Killers. It right, was okay. in, um, yeah, it was in development hell for years. Phil Clayden ended up picking up and working on it. I think. A couple of the they were going to make it as a straight to DVD film with a, a couple of the producers playing the lead characters of Jimmy and Fletch, which um, Horn and Corden would go on to do that instead. Um, I also wanted to kind of look at a bit of because there's not loads on kind of what was happening with the film prior. It just seems like it was one of those films that was knocking about for a while until Horn and Corden sort of came around and were giving it as a bit as a vehicle for their talents. Um, but I kind of wanted to look at how did we get from James Corden being in Fat Friends to then making a movie. Um, so on Fat Friends, he meets Ruth Jones. And um, which starts sort of that working relationship. He then goes on to, like you said, he's in Cruise of the Gods, where he meets Rob Brydon. And Rob Brydon, you know, Corden's saying to him, I really want to work in comedy. And Brydon's saying, well, you have to write something. You know, you're not just going to get a seat at the table. You have to kind of come up with something and earn your spot kind of thing. So, And also when he's doing History Boys, he speaks to Alan Bennett. And Alan Bennett sort of saying, you know, come on, James, you need to do something from the heart, something that you know from your real life. So that's a lovely impression, guy. Thank you. I thought I'd bring, bring out the uh, Alan Bennett impression. It's a good one. Thank Thanks. You. Hopefully we can try and work one into every episode. We'll try and do it. I'll try and do an impression every episode and see there if are, we can there's, get it there's echo. There are echoes of Alan Bennett and Gavin and Stacey on there, definitely. Yeah, and I think, and that's what Alan Bennett was said, said to James Conn during the um, history boys was you need to write something that's sort of from the heart um and then he develops the idea with ruth jones who like i said he met on fat friends so the idea was based in real life his best friend gavin had met uh, his wife over the phone at work and they arranged to meet and Corden goes to the wedding and he's seeing how all these people interact with each other and decides you know what this this will make a great kind of one-off comedy so they pitch it to the BBC uh, as a one-off play entitled It's My Day. 
but the BBC asked for a series instead, so that's how we get Gavin and Stacey. Matt Horn auditions for the role of Gavin, and he's pretty much given the role straight away due to his um, chemistry with Joanna Page. They really hit it off. So we get series one in 2007, and then 2008 we get series two, and then a Christmas special um, also in 2008. And then series three is 2010. And then up until 2019, when Gavin Stacey comes back, that's the last that Matt Horn and James Corden worked together. So it's like they needed to go back to Gavin and Stacey to cleanse themselves after Horn and Corden and Lesbian Vampire Killers. Yeah, it feels like... I remember, I mean... Again, I might be misremembering this because it's been a while since I've seen Gavin and Stacey, but I think that third series is is nowhere near the kind of level of the yeah. other series. Is that right? Yeah, it definitely mm-hmm. takes a dip. I think the first two and the Christmas special are pretty much classics to me. And mm-hmm. I think that third series just feels like one too many. A bit like I felt with the Inbetweeners third series where, for me... Yes, you can it, you can notice a spike. I mean, they're kind of leaning on the stuff that made it quotable, aren't they? And it's, mm. you know, when you start doing that, it's kind of, it's over. Yeah, you, you, you're running out of ideas. And I, I did enjoy the, the kind of reunion special, but for me, I think it felt like it lent too much on callbacks, which is always a sign when you're kind of running out of material, when you have to reference something that was, wasn't a big deal in the first place. Yeah. Um, exactly. Which is a bit of a problem. Yeah, so like we say, we get on to the making of um, Lesbian Vampire Killers, and it seems that there was sort of a, a few issues on set. Apparently, Rob Brydon had to have a word with uh, James Corden at one point at this time, and basically it's time to stop being a prat, because I think he was getting a bit too big for his boots. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, time yeah. of things to come. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and at the time, you know, um, Corden spoke quite highly of it during the making of it, but not long afterwards, he started to disown the movie. I think he called it the worst thing that he's ever done. And if it could wipe one thing from his career, it would be lesbian vampire killers. Well, I've got a, uh, I've got a couple of couple of James Corden quotes after for uh, later on in the show about uh, what he's had to say about lesbian vampire killers. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's a quote from uh, Phil Clayden, a director that was around filming it, because he said that you know there was so much enthusiasm that was going on. You know, he says. Clayden said to Den of Geek, you expect the script to come in and be sort of trashy, low-down B-movie rip-off. But no, it was smart, witty, sassy, funny, and was offering more than the title was actually selling. Do you think? Interesting. Well, let's, yeah. Well, yeah. let's see how accurate that is. <laughs> and then I've got a quote from James Corden. Um, so Rotten Tomatoes spoke to an excited James Corden during the filming, <laughs> and he said it's all about being surrounded by women, he told them. That's the idea for life, isn't it? Every man's quest is doing stuff to get women. Do you like Mike Lee films? Lesbian Vampire Killers is very similar. It'll definitely be a front-runner come <laughs> awards season. I'm presuming he's... Uh... I've taken the piss or off his tits or both. <laughs> yeah, it could be a bit. Um, yeah, so it says there was a bit of Mike mockery. Lee. <laughs> Referencing Mike Lee. Of all, of, all the, of all the comparisons. Yeah, and he talked up Phil Clayden. and he said, you know, Phil's been the beating heart of this film. He told Indy London it's kind of inspiring how he never lost faith in it. He did our, the Corden express a slight hesitation about its release, namely whether him and 
uh, Matt Horn were risking overexposure. So it's a constant worry. He said, it's so weird walking in and seeing myself in a magazine or on buses and phone boxes. We hope we're not getting on every on anyone's nerves because that's the last, the last thing we want to do. It's is this Matthew Horn saying this? Uh, no, this is Corden. It's genuinely a concern, but it really is out of our hands. Um, and but then, when you're riding a Christopher Wave like that, why would you say no to anything? Yeah, you, you I think that's... Saying, but it, 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 you know, it's that's something thing, that's so it? kind of endemic in in British TV, isn't it? That, that once somebody... Uh, people just get flogged and flogged and flogged until all audiences have had enough of them. I mean, yeah. you, you see it with so many kind of stand-ups who get their own show and then their own panel show and their own sitcom and then loads of other stuff and mm. to the point where it just reaches such saturation with that person. How many um, actors do you see? Michael Sarah was one of the big ones for me, I remember, years back. Because it was always quite similar. Was Yeah, it was always the same character in everything. And it was about a period of watching like five films in a row. I just but it's it's worse when it's with people you like as well. Mm-hmm. So like, like someone like Ramesh Ranganathan like had like three different travel, three different travelogue uh, documentaries going on at the same time, and a sitcom, and a podcast, and a um a pan, two three panel shows maybe. God, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and I think that's it's that's it, isn't it? It's where you reach that point, and people, yeah. and particularly when the work's not good. Yeah. You know, and you do three things at once. I think I remember reading in a book with uh, Judd Apatow where he said something along the lines of, you can have five flops before you get to stop making movies, I think. Wow, that many? Yeah, I thought that was a lot to <laughs> well, say. Phil um, Phil Clayton was only allowed one. <laughs> Poor sod. And the, 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 you know, the sad thing is, this is like a passion project for him. Yeah. By the sounds of it. He's really kind of... And and the kind of what I was reading about was it reminded me of a Steve Coogan because um, it it was drawing comparisons with do you remember Steve Coogan's was it the House of Doctor Terrible's House of Horrible yeah. now Dr. this is so I mean obviously lesbian vampire killers is is drawing on or supposedly drawing on a lot of Hammer horror influence isn't it um, and I'm a, I'm a horror fan I'm not a, I'm not a huge uh, I'm a horror fan. I ha- haven't seen loads and loads of stuff, but you know, it's a that's, it's a difficult thing to get right. And I remember yeah. the first time I saw Doctor Terrible's House of Horrible. I was quite young. I didn't really understand. I didn't understand what it was in reference to. Me too. And then having seen Hammer horror films since then, and going back and watching it, get, yeah, okay. Suddenly, I uh, I get this now. Yeah, I was the um, same. I didn't get it at the time. But going and watching Hammer films, like watching the Christopher Lee Dracula movies and things like that, you you get a sense. But those, so those episodes were Doctor Terrible's House of Horrible were loving pastiches of of um, Hammer horror. Whereas I feel like this might have just been ripping off the title, ripping off a, a title, and seeing how far they can go with it. I'd never got. Was, a... Sorry, I was just going to say, I never got a sense that I was watching a pastiche of a Hammer movie with right. this. Like, the look or the feel of it was ne- not, there was nothing that made me think, oh, yeah, this is like, you know, watching one of those Christopher and, Lee movies. And, are. and when it promises that by its very name, that's straight away a big alarm bell, isn't it? If it's not yeah. doing that, then that's, that's, that's a big alarm bell. Yeah, um, and I think... What, go on. I was just going to say, I think Phil Clayden, in his interviews at the time, references hammer so much you can see it's an influence but you can't carry it off by the looks of it from watching the movie 
So I want to I want to know, guy, what your relationship. I mean, it sounds your cards are already quite on the table that you you are a big Gavin and Stacey fan. Yeah, so, definitely. Um, so your relationship with the source material is a good one. I would say that I Gavin and Stacey is one of those things that I admire, but I I wouldn't say that I. Like I would never think to 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 sit and watch it. I've watched all of the first two series when it was on and mm. and enjoyed it, but it's just not it's just not enough in my kind of wheelhouse of things I enjoy. And that's not to say that I don't enjoy kind of warmer, lighter touch sitcoms and like rom com sitcoms. I think mm. a really good recent example of that type of thing that I think worked really well and was without compromising being really funny was. Um, Colin from Accounts. I don't know if you. No, does he come from Accounts? Accounts. An Australian sitcom, um, and again, like the the two writers of that who are married in real life play the two main um, protagonists in that. Mm. Um, and I do, you know, I I I think it's something like like, you know, all sitcoms don't have to have an edge to be funny. I think it's something like Modern Family, which is really kind of warm and fuzzy, isn't it? Yeah. But still, still very funny. Um, and Kevin the Stacey is funny, but I just it, it just doesn't have that that lasting appeal for me. So by the time this film came out, I really wasn't <laughs> wasn't looking forward to it, um, and I didn't want to see it, and I didn't see it, and I have only seen it subsequently for the purposes of this podcast. What about you? Had you yeah. seen this before? No, so I'd not seen this before. So yeah, I was a big Gavin and Stacey fan. I do like, there's a sort of element of the surreal that I, I like about it, how you've got this sort of what's quite a normal sitcom, but kind of mm-hmm. surreal kind of edges to it. And I like the interplay with the characters. I think James Corden's really good in it. I think everyone's really good in it, actually. You know, there's no one that I look at. I always liked Rob Brydon, you know, prior to Gavin and Stacey, but yeah, I would have to say, do you know what I, I think is I because I really like Rob Brydon, but I think this is the thing that I like him in the least. I think I think that that's one that is actually one of the, one of the problems with Gavin and Stacey for me is 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 his character. I think it, it, it just being a bit too bit too on the nose and a bit too over egged. I don't know. I can't quite put mm. my finger on what annoys me about that character. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe because I just I. You know, I loved him in stuff like Cruise of the Gods, where he's playing someone a bit more um, kind of cynical. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because he, he he does he does it so well. It's it's funny seeing him now. Like, didn't mean to get into Rob Brydon, but sort of going down this sort of family entertainer kind of route. Mm-hmm. And I wish he'd go lean more into that kind of cynical sort of character exactly. actor side, like the human, human remains. remains. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, human remains and things like that, and Marion and Jeff and. Yeah. You know, the sort of darker side of him, which I think a lot of people don't really kind of realise is there. The question is, Guy, will you be able to defend lesbian vampire killers? Shall we uh, Shall we find out? Let's find out. What? Don't open the fucking door, Jesus! Judy, get in quick. Oh, my God. Oh. What the hell is going on? What are you doing here? Something was chasing me. Vampires. What? Yep. Lesbian vampires. How ridiculous. No, just another one of God's cruel tricks to get on my tits. Even dead women would sooner sleep with each other than get with me, it would appear. But eating me alive? Oh, no, that's...
that's fine. Lesbian vampires. Next time, he'll have me bummed by a big gay werewolf. I swear. Oof, that was uh, that was a, that was a that was a ride, wasn't it? There, a rough ride through the um, through the countryside of rural England. Or the, the same the same bit of countryside of rural England over and over again. <laughs> Lots of kind of recycling of sets, or so it seemed. So everything was dressed to look exactly the same. They'd run from one bit of dark forest to another bit of dark forest, and I would swear it was the exact same set. Yeah, like, you no, couldn't no, tell no, the difference. And all you know, none of it looked on location. It, it all it all looked pretty cheap. Right from the start, in fact, with the so the green, with that legend intro at the start. So wait, where you have Matthew Horn playing the uh, the Baron, who is uh, <laughs> with his on the back of the back of his uh, shoddy green screen, and it, it's all kind of sub Sin City style graphics. Three hundred, wasn't it? It was all like three hundred or Sin yeah. City, and the blood coming out, and the yeah, and it's, just... it's got the Charles Dance style voiceover. Who did do that voiceover? I had no idea who that was who I'm was doing the voiceover. Sure. Was one of them, but yeah, and then finishes with you know talking in a very kind of grandiose Victorian way, and then finishing with locked her fucking head off, which of course. <sighs> And that that just kind of sets out the stall of what kind of film this is going to be, right? So in that opening yeah. section, you've got tits, blood, swearing, and that's that's where yeah. we're going. That's it. Right, we get to the... early tits, aren't there? Just to <laughs> yeah reassure the boys in the audience that <laughs> don't worry, lads. You've come to the right film. You're in safe hands. <laughs> there is going to be plenty of tits, plenty pause, of lesbians. Pause here. That's what that's yeah, exactly. It's like the the zoo and nuts magazine reading lads who worried that we're gonna end up with some history shit. Are so okay. fu- funny you should mention zoo and nuts, right? Because my whole theory about this this film is that it's it's a film out of time. Like that that whole the whole kind of lads mag era is where I mean I I I felt that kind of dwindling when we were at university. Mm. Because wasn't that we, more... we graduated in 2006? Yeah. I think by 2000, that really is the back end. I'm sure at least one of them didn't even exist at that point. But it's very. And then, and then the other thing that's riding the crest of the wave is and that it rips off massively is Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Five years after the fact. So it really is, you know, like it, it's kind of it's it's referencing stuff and it, it's trying to ride on the coattails of stuff that has already seen its heyday. Mm. It I felt mean, like it... one of those 70s sex comedies, in a way. You know, where you kind of, like, Confessions of a Driving Instructor or Adventures of a Taxi Driver or something, where it's just, you get a few, like, comedians of the day to go in one of these sort of knockabout sex comedies and end up just show a load of tits. And that's yeah. the kind of way of getting through it. There were no, um... There were very few comedians of the day in it, though, were there? Well, you just got your two, the two stars of the of the film, and then and that's it. There's no, because there's no even kind of. When you look at that era of movies, there's there's no like um, anyone making a cameo. Even Wild Child, Nick Frost made a cameo in Wild Child, mm. so it doesn't even have that way you can get someone to cross over from another franchise or another movie and and make something. Yeah, I don't. I mean, so off the back of that. Opening sequence, you've got the uh, 
the the long worn out breaking up with an annoying ex girlfriend trope. I mean, this is one of I've said this is one of the weirdest scenes in the movie because stylistically well, the sex noises about in the background that's why yeah I the mean. sex noises but it was it was the 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 way that she's some sort of like tactile almost cartoon-like character from um who framed roger rabbit with this sort of fast movement and the kind of clicking and the eyes twitching and, yes there's and, a really frenetic kind of like uh editing post-production style to it that's kind of weird and really that they don't keep up throughout much of the rest of the film. It's in like two scenes with her where she goes to the boyfriend's house who's married to Susie Amy and then a bit with Paul McGann's vicar later on in the movie. Mm. Yes, Jimmy gets dumped, doesn't he, by Judy? I think I thought she was called Julie throughout the entire film and then looked at the end and she was called Judy. So it showed how much... Well, it's also irrelevant. You know, yeah. I, I, I didn't write. I wrote very few character names down while I was uh, oh. <laughs> making notes watching this because, apart from Fletch, because they said Fletch every other fucking second, <laughs> I think you don't know what the what any of the characters are called. I'd just written down the you know the actors' names or annoying ex girlfriend or, you know, and then and then the but already they're kind of they're they're, they're setting up the kind of the the Edgar Wright style transitions between scenes as well. Again, like in a really kind of poor knockoff attempt at Edgar Wright films, and then James Corden dressed as a clown. I mean, well, yeah, they try, and, they try and sell this, don't they? That the, the Miss Rossi, the head teacher, comes in, and you got out a shot, and the whole oh, you've been fighting again, haven't you? Trying to pass it off that it's a school, and the joke doesn't really make sense because she's his boss. He's having to call yes. Miss Rossi and. Yeah. Yeah, for the sake of a joke that doesn't make any sense. Absolutely. And then it's revealed that James Corden, Fletch, as his character is, is sat dressed as a clown. Um, and doesn't, he oh, punches Fletch, a... we should call him for the... Of this, uh... <laughs> I think he punches a child because he sprayed him with um, his water in the balls. Yeah. So he punches him. And then... Um, Again, yeah. this looked like... So these two scenes, going back to that, looked like they were shot in the same studio. With yeah, very all over slightly, slightly different... Um, uh, production design between those two. You know, mm. they could just be the same room. Uh, yeah. Actually, what, okay, we, we've got the first thing that I actually liked coming up now. The, oh, the, 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 the title sequence and the graphics with the title sequence with the kind of cast, the cast of characters. Yeah, I, I thought that was that was done quite well. And that, that, that had a nice that looked good. Sixties vibe. You got the pipettes. Remember the pipettes who were the mm-hmm. kind of. They're them playing over the sound. I liked the use of the imagery. It had that kind of 60s kind of mod feel to it. Uh, yeah, I like that. I thought that was one of the few things. Um, but quick, quickly followed by something I absolutely hated, which is the pub scene after the breakup, <laughs> which is just a, just a, a, such an obvious ripoff of Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, but and not done, done. done. But done without any jokes. Oh no, we got our first gay panic joke, Rob. Oh yeah, you there's a gay that. panic joke. Yeah, um, yeah, Fletch tells Jimmy they need to go on a wacky adventure. I'm not going to bum you or nothing. Yeah, and that pub doesn't even look like a pub. So, like the first setup where you can see the bar, yes, that looks like a pub. And then as soon as they flip, they flip angles, and it just looks like someone's front room, or it looks like a student, um, like a, a uh, student like, room or something. Yeah. yeah. Oh. 
yeah, uh, they said they've already said the word vagine twice already because they say and, that in the intro bit as well. Don't they? Yeah, and he says uh, Fletch says Fanny a lot. He says he wants to go Ibiza mm. and then keep saying Fanny a lot, but neither can afford to go. I also felt that this Jimmy was says to Fletch is some some might say annoying, and I'm thinking yes already. We're less than ten minutes in, and it's <laughs> annoying. Because I was thinking it, it was sort of reminiscent of a scene that you get in Gavin and Stacey, but without any of the jokes or the warmth or yeah. any interaction that the characters are friends. Like to say that I feel, I mean, maybe I'm getting... Well, yeah, they just seem to have complete contempt for one another, don't they? Yeah. And like, I feel, am I being harsh by saying I feel like Matt, Matt Horn's sleepwalking through the movie? Or yes, is it he, just... He, he does not give a shit. Yeah. He I, does not care, you, does he? You can, you can see that he is thinking... Yeah, you can you can see that the set, I mean, at least Corden's kind of vaguely entering into the spirit of the. I think Corden's giving the, it the mean go. the mean spirit of the, <laughs> yeah. Of the film. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah, it, yeah, it lacks it lacks energy. Does this scene? So then we get Judy or the the ex girlfriend, who's a typical kind of bitchy ex girlfriend mm-hmm. character, who's the psycho ex girlfriend, goes to see a lover. Turns out he's got a wife, Susie Amy, that we know from Footballers' yeah. Wives. Who, from my, from my research, I was expecting to be in it a lot more, and she's literally just in that scene, isn't she? Yeah. Chardonnay. Yeah. Chardonnay. Is this is this but, post kind of... Is she on a de- downward spiral? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, my notes, I put that Julie plays it like it's a live-action cartoon, which I guess is the Who Framed Roger Rabbit, kind of that. It's so strange, her, and she, she's got, like, a really affected voice as well. It's like someone yeah. said, do a really arch-posh girl, head girl voice. It's really cartoon I mean, it, the, 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 there's, there's enough posh girls in the British film industry, just hire one of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But she she might be posh girl doing posh girl, and it's a really bad whatever that voice is. It's fucking weird. You're not getting Keira Knightley for this film. <laughs> you don't need. You just need one of the latter Knightley clones, don't you? Yeah. You've got the intro of these of these bits of like comic book style texts, like explaining bits of plot and stuff, oh, and they, yeah. they just become more and more superfluous as it goes I, on. I switched it, off from it's, them. It's saying, back at the flat. Back at the uh we we move into the forest and it actually like maybe later on it's like oh maybe we can just stick some of this text down to so that the viewers don't get confused as to the fact that we're doing a uh a scene that's supposed to be in a different place from the last scene but looked exactly the same <laughs> i didn't even know to be fair i think i was too busy yeah. making notes that i actually didn't see any of this but in um, fact, I, I wrote at this point, film out of time, which I, I've already said, this lad's mag aesthetic, it's already old by this point, and they're still, yeah, they're still because making it in this way. When was it? Lads, I feel like the peak of lad mag, would it have been like the 90s? I guess that's the start, isn't it? With like loaded FHM. So yeah. maybe early noughties would have been what kind of like the peak. Yeah, the, yeah, the zenith is, but yeah, it's when we, yeah. Around the time we'd have been doing A levels and and yeah. university, and then, like I say, by the time we were graduating in two thousand six, that kind of felt like that was on its way out. Mm. Do you remember your first FHM? Do you remember your first cover? Oh, my girl, brother used to buy it. I have an older brother, and my my dad used to buy it as well. But I can't. I don't know. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you who. Rachel Stevens was mine. Who for younger listeners was in S Club Seven. Uh, how annoying is the score? The score is a really annoying, kind of oh. clunky, and again, kind of Confessions of a Window Cleaner style score. 
Yeah, really cheap kind of. And why and why can't Fletch pronounce Cragwitch as if? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't even throw... fucking pronounce it. <laughs> why are they throwing um, a dart, a, an old map on the wall that's not even got glass in front of it? I was like, but, um, but, well, yeah, exactly. By the time they arrive in Cragwitch, which again, set, we then had the second joke about him not being able to pronounce it. Uh, you have another gay panic joke. It looks like a medieval gay bar. Oh yeah, a, a, a medieval gay bar with Jethro serving behind them. <laughs> I have got that, yeah, Jethro. <laughs> See, that was the cameo that we've been looking for, Jethro, yeah. the cream of British comedy. I mean, it, yeah. it, it isn't Jethro, but no. it's someone who looks a little bit like they Jethro. Couldn't even get a, Jethro <laughs> doing a Jethro, <laughs> a sub Jethro accent. Yeah, uh, there's, there's a rape. I've also written for that scene, rape joke. I can't remember what it was. I didn't write what it was, but it's. I might have yeah. written it. Yeah, no, I have written it. Um, well, we, we've we've missed a bit of crucial info um, because Jimmy smashes up or Fletch smashes Jimmy's phone when he tries to ring his ex, oh, the ex-girlfriend yeah. character. We also missed out the bit where the four good-looking young women turn come, turn out the pub and mm. sort of jump over the fence in kind of cut-off jeans and crop tops and whatnot well, that's the that's the scene that we heard at the beginning wasn't it while i was reading the reviews that's the with yeah. the wolf mother track yeah the so wolf mother the uh the four girls who are there four or five of them so I can't, I can't even remember details like that no so the rape joke is so they're given two bottles of, of ale compliments to the house to sit down while being sp- stared at by the men and jimmy says he's worried about being raped there's a lot of people in that pub for a small pub in the middle of the day as well, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're, they're all men. And then we get Paul McGann. Who... Oh, I have got, I, I did write Girls in Van montage, Leary slow-mo. But just kind oh of, yeah, there's lots of, later on in the film, there's lots of Leary slow-mo. Yeah. Um, yeah, Paul McGann enters and threatens a barman. And, and so you think, they yes, finally Paul McGann, but he's, I mean, he is really, really calling this in, isn't he? He doesn't give a shit either. He can't be. And he's doing some kind of weird accent. It seems yeah. that there seems to be like some kind of vaguely Irish accent that he just seems to does he or does he? I don't, I don't he know. Just seems to ab- or he just seems to abandon very quickly anyway. Yeah, I think so. And then the vicar oh, recognizes. Sorry, sorry, there's sorry. A, there was another rape, another a statutory rape joke. Oh, is there? Well, the reference to Ema oh. Ema Kenny eighteen. Love it. A bit of horny cordon. Oh yeah, there's, oh, there's a lot of stat rape jokes in there. I mean, the fact that she's turning eighteen is just—I mean, that's it's fine, boys, because she's nearly eighteen. Um, yeah, the vicar he recognises Jimmy as a descendant of the Baron, but he gets sent mm. his way, and then Jimmy. Okay, you paid a lot more attention to the plot in adverse oh, My notes are very extensive <laughs> on the plot. I feel like I know this film inside well, they're, out. They're into the van with the girls by this point, and. The, where are these girls supposed to be from? Because that's so not, I put. They, they just give them kind yeah. of Scandi kind of. I mean, one of them obviously is Swedish, mm. but they, they give them these kind of German accents. I yeah, know. I just saw indeterminate foreign accents. They were just mm. foreign work there. I don't know if one of them was meant to be German, but I they all. Caught, I didn't even get the names. I just put the blonde one, blonde with glasses, as a lead girl because they were all like Lottie. Dottie. Her name was Lottie, so the, the well, she was girl Dottie. is Lottie. Yeah, that's um, Diana Byrne. We have another and gay that... panic joke, yeah. <laughs> um, where Fletch confuses the girls' names with men's names for some reason. 
Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. There's the song. So when they get in the van with the girls, they're playing the song. I like you so much better when you're naked, which that is a song I've not heard probably since the time it came out. Who's that song by? I can't oh, like that song. I couldn't tell. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm gonna have to look that up. Guys. You look that up, and I'll um, I'll and carry like, oh, on. Yeah, this is all right. <laughs> um, yeah, the the Fletch passes around some beers, and they set up that the blonde girl, like with glasses, likes Jimmy, even though he doesn't seem to give a shit. Uh, Fletch smokes weed, passes it on, and the van drives off, and we sh- see the shape of Camilla in the fog. Camilla, yeah, Ooh. yeah. Um, definitely setting up uh, Camilla as. Sorry, oh, sorry guy. I like you so much better when you're naked. Is a song by Ida Maria, and Ida it's Maria. a good song. Anyway. I don't remember it, but I will <laughs> give it another listen later and add it to a playlist. Um, yeah. So Judy turns up and goes to the pub. Um, and then we get to the, they arrive at the cottage. Uh, Jimmy and Fletch Perth on the girls. Yeah, this is some perfect kind of leery shots as the girls sort of dance with each other and Jimmy and Fletch just sort of perv on them. I think, is it, is it at this point where they have that, that jump scare? It's both the scariest, it's probably the scariest bit of the entire film where they have that jump scare. We, oh no, this is the van, isn't it? With Corden's yeah. face turning up at the... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Shit, that is scary. Dave <laughs> Gordon's trying to get in my van. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, Corden all, brings... All this time, yeah, go on. All, all this time I'm kind of wondering when... Uh, when is Lottie's she's all that moment going to happen? <laughs> because it, they've set it up, haven't they? Yeah. Oh, she's an attractive girl, but she's got glasses. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Um, yeah, I, I did wonder when that was coming. I had that thought myself. Corden brings out his Peter Crouch robot dancing that was used. Yes, I wrote that as well. Peter, in... I mean, that was something that was actually topical. That yeah. I, I would say 2009 is Peter Crouch robot heyday. Yeah, and, and he well, did he used a lot in, of stuff with Peter Crouch, didn't he? Yeah, and he used it in Gavin and Stacey. That was one of the things that when Smithy ah, and Gavin okay. would show up, they'd do the the yeah. robot. So, um, oh yeah, and then we get a nice bit of exposition as a blonde girl with glasses tells Jimmy all about the folklore of Camilla and the village is home to the legend of Camilla, the vampire queen. One of the girls goes to the toilet and is scared, so the other one goes as well. We get a nice. Um, I I, I the made shot. the note that, that yes, and there's a when they're looking at the picture of Carmilla, there is um, just in case the the pervy boys were thinking about turning off. There's a painted tit. There is. There's She's got kind of veil, kind of see through top, hasn't she, Camilla? In this yeah. painting, so you do get um, yeah a painted tit there. Oh, my, my kind of my kind of line that's kind of the most out of place in the scene as well. He's uh, Jimmy is saying to Lottie about Fletch. Oh, his heart's in the right place. <laughs> is, is it? <laughs> a, a man who's making rape and gay jokes and, and talking about Fanny. His heart's in the right place. It's just a uh, lad, Rob. It's what lads so. do. Yeah. They're just <laughs> making appropriate jokes a lot. And yeah, can't be serious about anything. All he does is moan about that he doesn't get the girl, and then he doesn't, mm. which is he deserves not getting the girl. We, we have our, our first kind of horror horror beat of um, the uh, one of the girls going outside to use the toilet, and you know then that that's when she's going to become a vampire, uh, ruined by the line she's probably just having a massive shit. Oh yeah, <laughs> beautiful the writing there of. Um, yeah. 
our boys from um, Balls of Steel. Yeah, there's also a bit that feels very much like a rip-off of Ghostbusters 2 as well, where Camilla appears dressed like an old woman, like mm-hmm. ja- ja- Janosch does in Ghostbusters 2. There's a lot of stuff where it makes me think of Ghost, like a really cheap kind of local panto version of Ghostbusters there's a, scene, there's, there's a shot at this point where I think, oh, I, this is a really well-framed shot, and it, it's the, the three of them looking through the broken window. Oh, yeah. And I think, oh, yeah, that, that looks pretty decent. There's there's some decent... Uh, Good old Phil Clayden. Going on there. And, and uh, Trudy, who smells, for some reason, the stoner character. Oh, yeah. She gets out of the shower with full makeup on, Guy. <laughs> I might have been making notes then and missed that, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh well, that's good. Doesn't yeah. she just say "yeah" throughout the entire movie? Mm. Is, that, is that right? Yeah. There's a, yeah. Okay, some I think of her she's lines. A, I think she's Scottish. That actress. So, oh, is she? Yeah, really reaching with that German accent. She did very well. She had me fooled. Um, <laughs> so they, yeah, the three go off into the woods for their friends, and they find the girls having lesbian sex in the woods with lesbian vampires. So the girls are. We Pretty. have a bit of explanation text saying back in Cragwitch Forest at this point. This is my superfluous text, or, or <laughs> is it? Or is it? Because I think actually, no, maybe they do need this to kind of explain that this, this is a different location set up maybe. to the previous one because they all look the same. Interior, exterior, <laughs> everything. It's just It just all looks so rushed. It's also anonymous, isn't it? Like nothing about the the cottage where they're in looks particularly interesting. Or yeah. it looks like day one, doesn't there's, it? There's of, no de- there's the no set. good details uh, no. to any of it. The 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 first lesbian vampire scene that you're referencing, guy. That's thirty seven minutes into the film. It takes a while, doesn't it, to Apart get to from the... obviously there's the bit with the legends at the intro, but yeah, no, that's uh, if you're yeah. expecting constant lesbian vampire sex. You're waiting a long time to see it. <laughs> Thirty-seven minutes, yeah. uh, and that's also the first appearance of the of the white gunge, which isn't really explained, and surely is much more of a kind of zombie trope than a vampire trope. Because when yeah. they uh, when they when they they chop the head off there, you get you get some vampire vomit. Mm. Uh, um, oh, and when that when that first vampire dies. There's a little fart noise. Yeah, she uh, collapses to the ground, and that is the only bit in the film that made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, it didn't make me laugh, but <laughs> I'm glad it. I'm glad it. You got <laughs> one nugget. It, yeah, you got one nugget out of it, and I'm pleased for you. Just um, sticking a little squeaky fart noise and that all. Yeah, you could put a little squeaky fart noise in. In it, most it, things, it would, would improve most of the. Uh, <laughs> The scene before the interval in uh, Godfather, where uh, Michael Corleone is about to, uh, uh, where he's looking looking up and he's about to shoot the um, I forgot the police the detective. Yeah, it's Sterling Hayden. If he looks up and then does a little squeaky fart, that was that, that would improve that that scene. It no end. certainly would. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, no, I yeah I can see that. And um, yeah, maybe Bridge on the River Kwai before um, Alec Guinness falls <laughs> on the and <laughs> he just lets out a cheeky little fart. Yes. <laughs> what have I done? That's a... <laughs> 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 it has to be a surely be, It should surely be after after he dies. Yeah. It's out, it's out yeah, I think I think people. after the explo- <laughs> I think after the explosions <laughs> happened, and then his body's there. And he's there. <laughs> um, I put what remains is a body shaped jizz because 
Obviously, mm. I think they were yeah, going for. That's what it is. And James of... Gordon shouting, "Run you bell end!" in a really, really <laughs> whiny voice. <laughs> yeah, but he knocks one of the heads of one of the girls off with a frying pan. Um, mm. But at least then... there's um, Saturday Night by Wigfield playing. Oh yeah, that was well on the, uh, on well the little used. CD, uh, little CD player. Yeah, um, we should have done that. Very much a, a, a Van Helsing aesthetic at this point as well, isn't she? With the waistcoat and the big uh, open yeah, collar, etc. That's right. Um, um, and then, but don't worry, because we we're close to another uh, gay joke where we talk about being bummed by a big gay werewolf. Who? And that's not the last time we're gonna hear slash see the big gay werewolf, is it, guy? No, because uh, we will get to that in a bit. But you know, a sequel, maybe. Mm. Oh, and uh, James James Corden doing a dub double take when um, when Paul McGann's daughter is uh, referred to as a virgin. Oh yeah, as there's a, a lot of a, a pro virgin. Carry on, a very carry on. I mean, it, if that was in a carry on film, it it would be disappointing. <laughs> they would ask him to do it again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of stuff about virgins uh, in this movie. Um, yeah, I put, so Judy, the crazy ex-girlfriend, she shows up. She's acting like she's in a pantomime by this point. It's yeah, totally that's her banging on the door and getting Wigfield to play, isn't it? So yeah, kind of. And then she comes mm. in. Um, yeah, so we cut to Paul McGann's vicar's character. He's looking at some ancient book about Camilla when his daughter comes in. <laughs> I've put at this point is Paul McGann. Can could we say of Paul McGann that he's been in both the best British comedy movie and the worst? <laughs> Comedy yeah, I think so. I think that's definitely it. And the, I wish he was putting anything like the performance he did in the former into the latter. But mm. to be fair, no one really is. I, I think James Carden's giving it the old college try. I'll give him that. But <laughs> I mean, we've got a bit of text uh, in the bedroom. Uh, open bracket. Sorry, in the boudoir. Open brackets. French for bedroom. Close brackets. <laughs> Do you think that really? was just one of those? punch-up gags where they were like we I need to so. well we, yeah we need to actually remember to insert some some Last. gags into this. yeah let's, let's do it in post-production <laughs> yeah um yeah what did i put yeah so they're back at the cottage judy tries to seduce jimmy turns out she's now a vampire fletch cares her head in with an axe she it doesn't kill her instead he has she has an axe sticking out of her head that and axe what... scene I, I think that's that's them trying to do the paul q scene in children of the dead and again oh, failing yeah. miserably in you know, yeah, because I just put, why invoke a vastly superior film? Oh, yeah, uh, which they try and do a lot. I put hilarity ensues when mm. they try and get the X out of uh, X, the axe out of her head, and white stuff squirts everywhere. And then Jimmy kills her, and he's got the remains in his hair like um, something about Mary. Hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, Fletch tells Jimmy he's going to use the fact that the blonde girl is a virgin and might die as an opportunity to sleep with her and take a virginity. Cause yeah, he's a, he's another, a good, another he's rape joke. A, yep, he's got a good heart. <laughs> he's got a good heart. It's what good-hearted men do is uh, try and manipulate virgins into sleeping with them. Um, oh, and, and the, the inviting the vampire in by accident, that's uh, you could see that was telegraphed a mile off. I know you have to invite her in. Well, it's not like I'm just going to say, why don't you come in? Oh, Awful. no. I'm invited yeah. her by mistake. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh. which, which then is, as you're reading from that, quickly followed by a scene of James Corden wanking. <laughs> I was just going to say, why have we got a scene 
with James Corden wanking looking in the mirror himself. I think that was written in his contract. <laughs> <laughs> only if I could only if I could do a sex scene. It won't be very believable, James. What about a wanking scene? Yeah, go on then. <laughs> yeah, you see, if that had been Matthew Horn, it would have made sense why he seemed so reluctant to be in this film. Why he was good sleepwalking through it. Um, yeah, and then the shower curtain's pulled back on its own. So that's another mm. thing. We have this some sort of poltergeist thing going on where there's no kind of reference to it before. And then the vicar walks in and fights the vampire. We can now see she's naked. And then we have the brilliant bit where um, Fletch checks out her tits and then they shove her in the shower and Fletch is pushing her by the boobs. Oh, that is, that's it, ridiculous, that bit. Into the shower, <laughs> under the water. And then we have the brilliant joke of when she's melted and Fletch is holding her breast implants in his hand. Why is she melting in the shower? None of it makes any sense by its own kind of folklore, does it? It, it doesn't, no. yeah. Because it's not like on its, and it doesn't make sense on its own terms. That's that's a, a big problem. It's not like holy water's running through the place, is it? Because I was wondering if, yeah. they, if they worked backwards from this joke. If they went, oh, wouldn't it be funny if he was holding breast implants? Oh, how can we make that happen? Melt some tits. Well, and we've also got Jimmy's not the Messiah as well. Oh, like, you know, I wrote that. I, yeah, <laughs> awful. You can't. And a swearing you, vicar. And because they got to that point now, oh, let's, yeah. let's just make the the vicar a posse mouth, and that'll be really funny because he's a um, vicar. Oh yeah, I've got another um, gay joke. We were just a light buffet for a bunch of hot dykes. Mm, Says Fletch yeah, to the vicar, um, which yeah, picked what, up on. And then we we're not really far off. That you know, I, I'm kind of I'm moving through now because we're at the point now where you can't really tell. You know we're in the the final act, but you can't mm. really tell what's going on or how much longer it's going to go on for. They're flitting back and forth between between uh, Paul McGann and James Corden, and then Matthew Horn um, being tied up. And it's like I just just get on with it. The sword of Dialdo now is coming up, and you've just got joke after joke after joke about the handle looking like a cock, and that I just wanted isn't it a good joke. Yeah, it's it's a really poor joke. I just want to say, did you um, just going back to the scene before before we get onto the cock sword? Mm, yes. <laughs> um, the bit with the vicar and James Corden did that look like really awful green screen to you with Paul McGann? Yeah, I, like yeah, he wasn't I really mean, there. Hastily reshot stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I thought, yeah, um, yeah, you're right. So yeah, we get onto this thing about they have to get the sword out of the tomb. The cock sword, and then there's just James a Corden of... says says the words metal cock three times in less than a minute. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I knew that this, I knew this joke was coming as well. Like without, uh, pardon the pun, without it, you know, mm. it was so telegraphed that it was going to be an, something like shaped like a dick. That was the kind of yeah. joke I thought when they pull this sword out, it's going to either be a big cock or something that's phallic shaped um yeah and then we have all this sort of bit with jimmy and the blonde girl with glasses who are like tied up and they're gonna die and then it looks like an orgy from like an evanescence music video with all these sort of (laughs) lesbians (laughs) getting off with each other there's by this point we're seeing a lot of elena from peep show aren't we yeah just kind of being criminally under i mean because she wasn't here before was she anyone could have played that part 
Yeah, because she wasn't in it, and it, she's it right definitely... in the beginning. Yeah, is she in the beginning bit? Yeah, because I yeah. was a bit like at one point I got confused and thought was she playing the daughter, and I was like, no, that can't be the same actress. And then, yeah, she just she just sort of turns up in it, and we have. Well, this... I got really confused by by the actors and who was playing who as well. I I I was convinced for a bit that Carl Miller, who we've not gotten to yet, was the same actress as the ex girlfriend and i thought oh, the, oh yeah th- that's some kind of uh mm. callback but no it wasn't it was someone different yeah <laughs> but that yeah. probably says more about me no i i, I think we both had that problem because i thought that um elena from um peep show was playing the uh, paul mcgann's daughter in it we get mm. the awful um bit where fletcher's riffing doing taxi driver bits are you talking to me with his mm. sword and starts doing Star Wars when the vicar's daughter appears behind him. She flirts with him and says that she's now 18. Um, and then he kills her with the cock sword. And this is one of the things that it, the, the film does really, well, doesn't even try and do. There's no sort of emotional beats to it. Like Shaun of the Dead had that. Whereas this mm. is just like, yeah, I've just killed this guy's daughter. Yeah. But, and then nothing's really explained about you know that that feels like it may be important to the plot and then isn't they just move on quite quickly from it don't they you've got the return yeah. of the swearing vicar again and uh fletch making condom water bombs condom holy water bombs yeah that's it they want uh, yeah him and the vicar walk in slow motion when they're getting ready and when they're getting tooled up <laughs> i've written here they get in the car to go to what looks like the exact same location yeah and and it, oh, yeah, we're driving for ages to get to the other side of the forest. It's just the same fucking place. It's obviously the same place. I wish that and they the, just um, made it. By this point, they're just rushing through it so quickly. Yeah, I mean, I wish they just made a joke out of it. You know, done like a, mm. something like that or Garth Marenghi or, you know, sort of leaned into the fact. Because I thought if you if you did it like the Mighty Boosh, because the Mighty Boosh was obviously filmed on a set and they did it all. You know, you could do something that would be quite interesting, I think, if you mm. kind of leaned into the fact that you're doing it, obviously, somewhere like that, rather than trying to make out that you're not, and it just falls apart. Uh, I put that it looks like they're trying to make Fletch into like a Peter Venkman type character yeah. by this point. Yeah, especially while now, now one you've got the, the vampires dancing and the blood portal opening up with all the electric. That's very... Uh, Ghostbusters, isn't it? And, yeah, and some fucking terrible visual effects at that point as well. Camilla's definitely got Goza vibes, you know the bit. Yeah, it, it definitely kind of feel the yeah. sort of the Goza vibes from the uh, first book, Ghostbusters film. And then we have a lot of um, sort of slow motion um, girls getting off with each other, lesbianism. That's, again, I've read funny that we've both written that guy. Oh, slow mo smogging, I've written. Slow mo snogging. <laughs> and then we get to Lottie's fight with um character's name unknown, Elena from Peep Show. Um mm. which is uninspiring. By by this point you are just waiting for the end, aren't you? Because it, it it's there's, there's no grand finale particularly, it's it's all quite dull. I've just written yeah. so boring at this point. Yeah. And that's um... the, that's that's the worst thing. For a horror comedy to be boring is just like the worst crime. Yeah, the, yeah, you, you can't get away from that. It's so dull. Yeah, when Fletch gets the cock out, Jimmy says it's gay. So we get another gay mm. joke. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, God. Yeah, it's so dull by this point. There's nothing interesting about it. There's no kind of interesting visuals. There's no jokes. Yeah, I wish you could hotwire it to the end, you know, because there's just nothing... 
<laughs> nothing happening. Um, that bit where they're in the hearse is, is desperately trying to be like Simon Pegg, Nick Frost kind of dynamic as well, isn't it? And it's yeah. not working. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, Jimmy grabs the sword and kills Camilla. Um, and then yeah. the Red Moon is replaced by the sun. The vampires are no longer vampires, but much to Flesh, Fletcher's dismay, they are still lesbians. Um, Jimmy and the blonde girl with glasses kiss. Fletch walks off in a huff because he's the only one who ain't getting any. Blonde girl hot wires the vicar's car. The boys want to go home. And then she says this awful bullshit about how they, there must be more of this sort of menace going on all around the world. And now we know what to do. Jimmy says... They can't have, by the time they got to this point, they can't have possibly thought that there might be a chance of a... um... Sequel. <laughs> there might be a cause of a sequel. Surely not. Jimmy says, "Are you saying we become lesbian vampire killers?" They decide to do it, and then Rob, big gay werewolf, we get a shot of a limp-wristed <laughs> werewolf howling at the moon. I mean, that is that. Uh, that's yeah, that was baffling. Uh, followed by the song "Under the Moon of Love," yeah, uh, which is an all right song. It's a good song, but ah, uh, my god, so underwhelmed. You know, it's one thing when you're expecting a film to be shit and it is shit, it's kind of... But you, you don't get any satisfaction from that. No, because you have to watch um, it. Usually, yeah, exactly. Usually when I've got such low expectations for something, I end up finding... End up being pleasantly surprised and, and finding something to redeem it, but not much I like to know. Is there anything that you liked in there, Guy, apart from the dying vampire farty? <laughs> um, no, not really. Um. I, I didn't think James Corden was too bad in it for as bad as the film is. I actually thought he was probably one of the re- more redeeming features of the film, even though I don't like that character. I thought that mm-hmm. at least he it felt like he was giving it a go. Um, yeah, it would have been more interesting, I think, if that dynamic between him and the vicar, if Paul McGann hadn't been kind of phoning it in, you could have had something that was quite interesting with that. Uh, but the film doesn't mm-hmm. explore it and... I think that was the only saving grace for me. I don't remember really. I'm, I'm trying to remember any laughs from me for it. Maybe a couple of t- There's nothing tangible where I go, there oh, that was a any, funny it, bit. It's just them them calling each other fucking bellends. Or yeah. Something. Like there's no, yeah, there's, there's no snappy dialogue at all. Um, they don't bounce off one another. So I've been kind of, I've been looking into what the legacy Ooh. of this film is and i suppose the big the big take out of it is that it it didn't stop the juggernaut that is james corden's career you know from here he only went to bigger and well maybe not better things but you know he is now a a global global megastar you know since then he's won a tony uh for one man two governors which is i i saw in the west end not with him though Mm. Uh, unfortunately, because by all accounts he was very good in it, um, but yeah, he he from that point onwards, you know, by by twenty fourteen, he's um, he's got his gig doing the the late late show. So how many stars? Become twenty fourteen. Become twenty fifteen. Right. Um, and then you know he he becomes a big Hollywood fixture then, and you know and reasonably kind of influential in Hollywood, you know, like his kind of lasting legacy will be things like carpool karaoke when it yeah. come off the, 
the back of the Late Late Show, which I cannot fucking stand. Mm. I, I mean, that's also that's a direct lift from Kevin and Stacey as well, isn't yeah. it? Where he's just singing in the car, yeah, just singing in one a Christmas but special. It's, and... it's just like just just celebrities being smug in a car. Yeah, yeah it's not a good car, look. Yeah. I mean, is there a sense no. that he had to change tack and change style a bit? Because I do definitely feel that he yeah. maybe smoothed off the rough edges that maybe were there oh, he before. He becomes a bit more dapper. Yeah, but he's still making, I mean, if anything, all, all his career after this um, proves to us is that he's fucking bulletproof. Mm. Because here's a list of some of the films he's made after Lesbian Vampire Killers, right? And a lot of these are up there with being as bad as this. Gulliver's Travels, oh, God. The Emoji Movie, <sighs> P- Peter Rabbit, a, oh, he's a meant reference to be back to Kermit and Mayer. Yeah. His his when when Mark Kermit slagged off Peter Rabbit, his parents wrote into their podcast. I remember to say, and that th- I thought that was quite telling mm. because that was a moment of his parents going, "Well, you can't you can't criticize our son. You know, he yeah. tries really hard and stuff." And it and that to me thought, well, maybe you know this this is why he's kind of gotten to this point because he's never been told. <laughs> I think that's it. <laughs> He's never been told that he can't do yeah. stuff. He does seem like that. And he seems like one of those stage kids, doesn't he, that parents, you know, gave nothing but encouragement and then yeah. thinks that he, the world belongs to him, almost. Of course you can do this. You deserve it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then to reel off a couple of other lo- loads of old crap, Ocean's 8 and Cats, you know. Mm, well, yeah, Cats is... But then he seems to, so starting with this, starting with Lesbian Vampire Killers, he seems to make a thing about kind of slagging off his own flocks. Mm. So there was a, a, when he presented an award at the Oscars, the year of Cats, he was, he, he came on stage, him and Rebel Wilson dressed as Cats, so nobody, nobody understands the, um, I think they're preventing, they're presenting an award for, best visual effects and saying nobody understands the need for good visual effects like uh, the cast, like me in the cast of Cats. And it's like, yeah, but you you know, you made the choice to be in this film in the face. Yeah. You know, you can't then, you can't, he's having his cake and eat it. Mm. A couple of quotes. So in, um, in 2014, where he's being um, interviewed in a, in a junket for a movie called Begin Again. I like Begin Again. It. I am a big yeah. I really like that film, Kira Knightley. So that's the question. Uh, the question is, if you could begin again, what would you do or wouldn't you do? And he said, well, "If I could begin again, I wouldn't make lesbian vampire killers. You learn so much from your mistakes than your hits. Well, do you? Because then you've gone on to yeah. <laughs> to make to make uh, the emoji movie, Peter Rabbit and Cats. So ha- have you learned? Yeah. And it just seems a bit cheap for him to, you know, like he is one of the big reasons that. The lesbian vampire killers isn't good, mm. and he he's scoring points off it. In September 2010, while he was on a comedy panel show called The King Is Dead, do you remember that no, one? No, I don't remember that one. He commented that watching the film would be too harsh a punishment for prisoners being held in Guantanamo Bay, and that that kind of that reads like a joke from yeah, it does <laughs> a joke from lesbian vampire killers. So again, no lessons learned. Yeah, I don't think. Um, this is riding on the kind of the back end of the crest of a wave of, of like a golden era for British horror comedies. Mm. Right? So, I mean, obviously we've already said it's, it's trying to cash in on Shaun of the Dead, which of course is the high watermark. I've talked about dogs, dog soldiers and we've got a, um, 
one of the producers from that working on this, but there are like things like Severance and The Cottage mm. and League of Gentlemen Apocalypse, another film that we'll obviously get yeah. to. Um, and um, things like, um, and then, and then after that's been Vampire Killers, you've got things like Cotneys versus Zombies. Oh, yeah. And some, like good examples of things, like good British horror comedies like Attack the Block, mm. Sightseers, Prevenge, Grabbers, Grabbers kind of is Irish, but yeah. Um, you know, that this is this this kind of again was the dog end of the 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 good time of uh British horror comedies before they they mm. came back into effect with people like Dan Wheatley and uh and Joe Cornish. I guess it's like the, the end um, of the first wave, isn't it? Really, is sort of like the kind of before we get onto the, the second group of people, this is like the end of the first uh, wave, yeah, exactly. It did seem that you know nothing could go wrong for James Corden, yeah. Uh, for everyone else, but I, I suppose the great, the best legacy of this film, um, guy, is that it's become like the benchmark for for bad British comedy films. Yeah, and it's kind of the inspiration to make this podcast. There's a reason we chose to do this one. First, yeah, exactly. Because I I'd never seen it. You'd never seen it, and we thought, well, what a way to start the podcast. Start start at the bottom and work your way up, and watch lesbian vampire killers. And they're not. You know they're not um they're not all going to be bad. No, <laughs> this isn't just going to be a podcast of us um slating uh, going. You know, there's plenty of other podcasts where where they talk about you know ba- how did this get made or flop house etc. Yeah. They're talking about bad films. Um, we're going to talk about good you know, ones we, as well, aren't we? Which is part we, of the. We, uh, we will get to some very good ones. Yeah. Um, but one of the um. One of the main segments of the podcast now coming up is where we're going to put everything into a ranking order. <laughs> so where are going to put it, Rob? We've, we've done what we've... Well, <laughs> it has to be both first and last, which is a, a lovely kind of... Do you think... A, a lovely sentiment about this film, Yeah, isn't it? do you think we can say yeah, that... There's no film before or after. <laughs> we haven't done any films after it yet. So it's uh, it's currently top of our list, but also bottom of our list. I was going to say, we could tell the, the makers, Phil Claydon, that, um, you know, Britcom goes to the movies. This is our number one film. It ranks <laughs> Lesbian Vampire Killers as number one. But the question is, that when we get to the end of this series, Guy, what is your prediction? Where will it be? Will it be top or bottom or somewhere in between? I, I imagine it'll be bottom from... I mean, we've de- we have decided on what we're going to do, and I can't imagine... I think there's a there's a good mix of of movies that we are going to look at, and I can't imagine that this one's going to be hitting the the, the tops, the, the higher echelons of the list. What do you think, Rob? Uh, no, I'd be very surprised. I'd, I'd I'd be very surprised if we see a worse film than this this series. Yeah, yeah, and but who knows? Because a, a lot of the other films we're planning on doing. I've not seen, so who knows? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a there's a good mix of stuff. Um, are we going to do the quiz? Yes. So uh, for each episode, we're going to uh, quiz one another. Five questions of kind of ascending difficulty. We give each other a topic relating to the show before we go, and then we're going to keep a running tally of scores. A point for each correct answer, Guy. Are you happy with that? Yeah. Despite them getting more and more difficult. I'm happy. So I'm going to give you some James Corden questions. You're going to give me some Matthew Horn questions. Yeah. Who wants to go first, or shall we? Shall we interweave? Do you want to in- one? Should we do A B A B A B? Oh, let's do it. Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Do you want to? Yeah. Do you want to kick us off, and then I'll go. Okay. So question number one for 
on James Corden for you, Guy Walker. For which film did Corden receive a Razzie Award for Worst Supporting Actor? And it is a film we've mentioned. Is it Cats? It is Cats. Congratulations. One point for Guy. Um, So what TV show prior to Gavin and Stacey did Matt Horn and James Corden both appear in? Ooh. uh, I'm going to say Little Britain. No, Teachers. We did mention it. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah. You see, if you just said, uh, what programme did Matt Horn, James Corden, and Rob Heath? Yeah, <laughs> and Rob Heath's dad. All appear. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm annoyed at myself for not getting that one, Guy. Uh, okay, question two for you. Uh, who did James Corden succeed as host of The Late Late Show in 2015? Or 2015, sorry, not possible. Uh Craig Ferguson? Craig Ferguson, another British comedian, British Scottish, Scottish comedian. comedian. Yeah, I now live in Scotland, guy. I can't refer to Scotland <laughs> yeah. or anything. As no, <laughs> Britain is dead. Uh, so you've got two, you've got two from two. Yeah. Um, so which football team did Matt Horn's character Gavin Shipman support in Gavin Stacey? I know this one. Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah. And he is a Tottenham Hotspur fan. Yeah. Yeah, he is, despite being born in like Nottinghamshire, is, is a yeah. Tottenham fan. I didn't know he was and he's, born in Nottinghamshire until well, I read he, about this. Well, he's done it, he's, and he does like the, the voice for one of the guided tours of um, of Tottenham Stadium, apparently. Oh, fair mm. enough, did not know yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, I could have had that in my quiz. Uh, but another football-related question. Who collaborated with James Corden for their cover of Tears for Fears' Shouts, released as England's World Cup 2010 single? Oh, my God. 20... So it was James Corden and... Doing Shout. I don't know. I didn't even know about it. It's Dizzy Rascal, Dizzy guys. Dizzy Rascal. And there's another one to add to your... Maybe you should start a Spotify playlist for this I think podcast. I do... And... Yeah, with songs we've mentioned. So I I like you so much better when we're naked. I will make and... note of these. <laughs> shout, <laughs> shout by... <laughs> by James Corden. Dizzy Rascal. Dizzy Rascal. Wow. Okay. Um. So before Gavin and Stacey, Matt Horn appeared in which popular sketch show? Uh, Catherine Tate. Yeah, that's it. So we both got two out of three. Okay, your fourth one. This is why they get more difficult. Oh shit! Uh, it's another football-related one. James Corden's production company. Uh, he didn't found. I have to add, he didn't found this production company. He became one of the partners in, I think, 2014. Anyway, James Corden's production company, Fullwell 73's name, references a stand in a defunct stadium and an FA Cup winning year of which English football club? So the Fullwell stand of a now non-existent stadium. Sunderland? Oh, great answer, Guy. Yes, yeah, Sunderland. Thank you. 1973 when Sunderland won the FA Cup and the full well stand was a stand at Roker Park. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Um, right, so you did, you did say you never watched the show, but so good luck with this one. What is Horn's character's name in Bad Education? Ah, now, I did see this. Is it... It's got. He's got ridiculous... Do I need his first name or just his surname? I might let you have his... Because his, his first name is ridiculous... Yeah, it's a ridiculous first name, and I'm sure the surname is Fraser. Yeah, that's which right. Which is also his middle name, right? So yeah. I, re- I re- did a bit of research on this. That's, that's very good. Shaquille Fraser is uh, the character's Shaquille. name, but I will give you... Because um, you, 
getting Shaquille would be quite difficult. So I'll let you have a phrase. I'll get you. <laughs> you can have a phrase. point. And he's a teacher, right? Yeah, he's a head. He's a headmaster of the school where Jack Whitehall works. So he's like a bit of a David Brent kind of wants to be too cool for school kind of headmaster. So yeah. So my three out of four as well now. Yes, you are. So we are. Okay. So make it four out of five, guy. This is my hardest question. In his acceptance speech for his 2012 Tony Award win, who did Corden say was his all-time favourite actor? Said actor was also nominated for the same award that Corden won that year. So this is his award that he won for best actor for um, uh, One Man, Two Governors. And it's a Tony Award. So is that a musical? Does it have to be a musical? Can't it just be theatre? No, no, just just theatre. I don't know if it's this guy, but I'm gonna. Gary Oldman. Not Gary Oldman. No, it was Philip Seymour Hoffman. Ah. Rest in peace. Yeah, R.I.P. Um, right, I'll give you your last question. So, what mode of transport did Horn get hit by in 2018? <gasps> No, I did read this because I was reading his Wikipedia page in preparation for this. Uh, it was a train. It was. Well, guys, so that puts it. So, does that put me slightly ahead of you on our yeah. quiz leaderboard? Rob, four, guy. I, I'm going to get very competitive about this. <laughs> guy, three. <laughs> you said that with too much relish for my liking then. Yeah, so that was um, Lesbian Vampire Killers, a, a film that I can't say we enjoyed, but I certainly enjoyed talking it about talking about it with you, Rob. Yes, likewise, Guy. Uh, here's to bigger and better things. Definitely, and um, on that note, the next film we're going to be looking at is the Martin Clunes movie Staggered. So hot off Men Behaving Badly, Martin Clunes went on did Staggered. We'll get into this in the next episode. But yes, really looking forward to that one. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, me too. So yeah, make sure you tune in for that. And if you want to follow us on socials, I'm at Geiston underscore Walker on Twitter. And I'm at Robert C. Heath on Twitter. And yeah, to play us out, we'll have um, Dizzy Rascal and James Corden. (laughs) Yeah, until the next time. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Rob. And yeah, I'll see you on the next one for Staggered. Thanks, Guy. See you uh, See you at the movies. See you at the movies. Bye. Thank you for listening to Britcom Goes to the Movies with Guy Walker and Rob Heath. Thanks to Mark Phillips for the podcast artwork. You can get in touch with us by emailing BritcomGoes at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram and Twitter as at BritcomGoes. And don't forget to check out the Britcom Goes to the Movies playlist on Spotify and Amazon Music. Please like, subscribe and review so that others can find the podcast and we'll see you on the next episode.